Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise. Everybody please say, the promise. It's unto you and to your children. And to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Today I want to preach for a little while on this subject to you and your children. This is faith for our future. God bless you. Please be seated. Amen. We are in a strategic season of our Imagine Vision campaign. We're focused on embracing the future that the Lord has planned for our church. But I'm so thankful that we're not just strategizing in the flesh. We're operating in the spirit as God directs us. And our strategic services have been supernaturally blessed of God. He walked in the doors of the Delta Flight Museum. One of our leaders told me that they just felt the presence of God there, not just the cool factor of an off-site service. On March 19th, we honored our past. What a wonderful past we have as a local church. On March 26th, we celebrated our present what God is doing in our church right now. On April 2nd, we promoted the future and we saw the fly-through of the architectural renderings of our future sanctuary as we one day release this to the next generation, this building. Amen. But I want you to see today that the promise of Pentecost was not just given to the people who were gathered there that day. There are some people that believe that the Holy Spirit that was poured out on that day was just for that day or just for that era of time. Some erroneously say that they spoke in tongues to spread the gospel, which if you just read that chapter, you will see that that's really not it at all because Peter stood up and he preached in one language, probably Aramaic, and everyone there who had gathered from all over the world understood his preaching. They were more fluent in more languages than most Americans like we are. They spoke more than one language. Their language wherein they were born and the common language of the day. So this that was given on the day of Pentecost was not just for them. It was for their children. It was to those who were afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want you to see today God's focus on the future. Now, God dwells in one eternal now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He inhabits eternity, the Bible said. But God created time, and he uses it to fulfill his word. And his kingdom is an ever-advancing, ever-expanding kingdom. Amen. God has always been against people who lived in the past. Not, not honored the past, but lived in the past. He has been against those who in the present consumed the re 
resources that were dedicated for the future. There were times when backsliding Israel followed pagan practices. And some of the most despicable were causing their children to pass through the fire. Literally sacrificing their children to the fire god Moloch. Many places in the Old Testament speak about this detestable practice. But in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah said you made your sons pass through the fire unto Moloch. The Lord said, I did not command them to do that. Neither came it to my mind. It would never even enter the mind of God to sacrifice the present on the altar, excuse me, the future on the altar of the present. When Samaria, the city, was under siege, there's an incredible story there. There are two mothers. They are starving like everyone is starving. They make a pact with one another. They say, let's do this. Today, we're going to boil your son and eat him. This is 2 Kings chapter 6. And then tomorrow, we'll sacrifice my son. We'll boil your son. So this woman who goes to the king, so we boil my son and we ate him. And the next day, I said, give me your son that we can eat him. But she's hid her son. She goes to the king to appeal her case of this woman who lies. It is one of the most heartbreaking, grotesque stories in the Bible. But one day it occurred to me, I've mentioned this in passing before in preaching. It what came to me, what in the world was going through the minds of these women? Cannibalism should not even be on the menu. But why would you not say, look, we want our babies to live. And if somebody's going to die, let it be me today. And tomorrow, let it be you. But let's not sacrifice our future for the appetites of the present. Don't sacrifice your kids for your career, for your hobbies, for your selfish ambitions, for your selfish desires that you would ditch your family for yourself. Don't sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. God has always been against that. Man, I feel that. There are churches that sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. It is the adult generation that consumes all the resources of the church on themselves. Even those that should be allocated and dedicated to the next generation. The formula for failure is to forget the future, to live with the memory of the past, but then consume the future for the needs of the present. An older generation, which I'm a part of, that holds the most money and positional power in local churches that dictate the culture of the church. Over time, people who serve their own appetites create a church culture that does not attract the next generation, does not reach the next generation. This fatal trend for a local church is seen in the choices that serve the last generation and not the next. When churches lose sight of the future, when they lose their faith for the future, 
they become ingrown and they consume everything that they produce in the present and they store up nothing for the future. Those decisions doom that congregation. Those decisions are seen in budget allocations. They are seen in building designs and furnishings. They are seen in worship service components, in music style, in ministry priorities, in dying churches. The last expenditure to be reduced are those that keep the members of the church most comfortable. That is a direct, direct quote from the book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Friday night, I had the privilege of preaching a district conference service in Providence, Rhode Island. It was in a church that was over 100 years old where that church had declined and died and sold it to a united Pentecostal church for pennies on the dollar because their church was looking backwards and they destroyed their future. In that conference, they told about the victory of Brother Les and Sister Linda O'Dell, who for the first time since they'd been in that district, Massachusetts, Rhode Island district, they were able to buy a building for $50,000 that's worth something like a half a million dollars. An old church looking backwards died, and an apostolic church looking forward was able to buy that building. That congregation controlled the money. They returned 40 of the $50,000. They ended up getting that building. I think they're in it debt-free now, having church in, in New England in an apostolic environment in a mainline church. But those buildings that are being sold for pennies on the dollar. I was in Pennsylvania a few months ago. The district superintendent, Nikki Cluster, they just bought a church for $20,000. It's a beautiful, picturesque church that seats over 100 people. It's a historic building, but now people will receive the Holy Ghost there. They'll be baptized in Jesus' name there because our church and God's church is always focused on the future and not on the past. We, praise God, we are part of a church that is thankful for the past. We celebrate the past. We stand on the shoulders of the past, but we're not aiming ourselves backwards. We're not nostalgic trying to return to a bygone era, but we live in this culture. We have been placed here for such a time as this to lead this church and God's church to evangelize Metro Atlanta and to build bigger and for the future for the next generation. We have faith in our future. We believe that God is going to use us to fund that future. I was thinking about Proverbs 13, 22, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Brother Floyd, in the waning days of his life, told his son, Gary Sr., that I'm gonna leave something. I've got resources y'all don't know about. They probably know about it. But he wanted them to know. He didn't make a lot of money in his lifetime but he was thinking about his family in the future. And that's what I believe God is helping us do. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner 
is stored up for the righteous. I'm ready for some wealth of sinners to come to the righteous. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that would be a good prayer for imagine. Amen? The sinners have had it long enough. Amen. But this principle, this idea, is what I believe we are doing. That we are thinking about our children and our grandchildren. And we would like to leave them some financial resources. But more than that, we want, them to, we want to leave them a church that is anchored in the Bible. That is looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. That is saving people that are dead in their sins. Amen? We are leaving an inheritance for future generations. It's more meaningful than the investment of money. It is a statement of our faith in the future of our church. We are investing in our families when we build our future. Every time you pray and fast, every time you worship, every time you give, every time you bring someone to church to find the Lord, you are showing the next generation that this is so good, I believe in it. It's a stake in the ground. It's who we are, and we believe in you. And we're leaving something for the next generation. Amen. You've heard me say this before. Some things I intentionally say over and over. But for me, I care mostly about two things. I'm very detail-minded, very particular, unfortunately, for my family and friends. But what matters to me as a pastor is that we make sure we maintain our apostolic message. No compromise on our doctrine, amen? On our apostolic identity, our apostolic doctrine. It is not for sale. It is a fixed stake in the ground. As we march into the future, we're not gonna compromise and use the, lose the power that brought us to this place. Amen. Amen. We're not gonna compromise the mission of the church. In fact, we need to focus on it more than ever before. They are non-negotiable, the message of the church and the mission of the church. But for me, the methodology, the decor, the music style, as long as it gives glory to God, that's kind of up for discussion, amen. I don't think anything goes. But what matters to me is that the next generation loves God like we love God and maybe even more. That they still preach, hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. That they still preach that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. That they still preach Acts 2.38. They may say it a little differently. They may put a colored light on it. They may paint the black wall black. I couldn't care less. I want the whole Ghost to be poured out on the next generation. Oh, let's worship the Lord. There's a visitation of the Holy Ghost right now. Praise God. Amen. Let me continue. God's kingdom has always had a future focus. Psalm 100, verse 5, His truth endureth to all generations. Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation, I love this verse, shall praise His works to another. That's what happens when our kids are here. 
that we're praising God, but we're not just praising God, we're praising God to the next generation. They're seeing our passion, our worship, our lifestyle, and they're praising God to the next generation. Amen. Isaiah 9 and 6 is prophetic verse of the Messiah that would come, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Local churches may plateau and decline, but God's kingdom will never be in decline. Regardless of the cultural makeup that we face right now, the nature of human beings is spiritual. And there is a spiritual vacuum in our country that is hungering for that which is authentic, that which is powerful, that which will deliver them, that which will change them, that which is giving to, that which is worth dying for. Our world is hungry for a church, for a kingdom that has no end. Of Jesus, it was prophesied that he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The image that Nebuchadnezzar saw and Daniel interpreted was about a little stone cut out of the mountain without hands that would smite the image of Gentile kingdoms in its feet and would destroy it, would replace it. It would grow and fill the whole earth. And of that kingdom, it would, there would be no end. It would be an everlasting kingdom. That is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are connected to the past and we are reaching to the future. The apostle Joel, the prophet Joel, in Joel chapter two, said it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's going to be in you, your day, you adults. But it's also going to be to your children. Amen. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens, people of different social classes, multicultural, if you could say, in those days will I pour out of my spirit. Joel spoke those words 700 years before Pentecost. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come and the Holy Ghost was poured out for the first time and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance, people heard the news, it spread. People gathered. Peter preached. People asked. But he said this that is happening in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost is that which was prophesied by Joel 700 years ago. That prophecy had been sitting on a shelf, but now it was activated on that day. And we are living in that day, the last days that started with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And indeed, we are living in the last of the last days when God is visiting this earth with a great revival before he comes back again. He may come back before we turn a shovel full of dirt, but until he comes back, we're going to occupy. We're going to take new territory till he comes back again. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Peter preaches. It's an amazing sermon, Acts chapter 2. 
And then, while he's still preaching, he's interrupted in people who are convicted by his preaching and by their own sins. Ask men and brethren, what shall we do? And the apostle Peter preaches this message that is pivotal in the Bible. I was reading commentary yesterday and I was amazed by this non-apostolic commentator that basically said, who in their right mind cannot see this as the message of salvation? Everything points to this verse. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We will baptize you today in the name of Jesus. You can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost today before you leave. That promise from the past is for today. Amen. And then the apostle Peter, he could have stopped right there because he had a lot of people gathered there. Most of you know that on that very day, over 3,000 people were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That would have been a great success. But the apostle Peter goes on to give them this multi-generational promise. For the promise of salvation is unto you. You're hearing this right now. But he didn't stop there. It is to your children. It shouldn't die in one generation. It endures to all generations. So this promise today is based on our faith in the future. That God believes in the future of his church. And this prophetic promise that the promise of the Holy Ghost is not just to the adult generation, but it's to the next generation. Amen. It is to your children. And it is to those who are afar off, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. When churches die, it is because they fail to transfer truth to the next generation. Often it's because parents don't really believe it and they really don't live it and their kids don't feel it so it's not worth living for and dying for. But I'm just telling you here that we're driving another stake in the ground that we believe this message and we believe it is for us and we believe it is for our children. And what we do is not to be consumed on the present, but it is to prepare a place for the future of this church. Praise God. It is to you and it is to your children. Amen. Most every parent that ever had a child to be born in their family was worried about the culture in which that child would be raised. We thought about it 40 years ago. Oh my goodness, this world. And how much more today, this world. But that's why I want to assure you that God's truth endures to all generations. 
and where sin doth abound, there doth grace much more abound. If we will stay anchored in truth and not compromise, if we will love God with a pure heart fervently, if we will hold the truth in sincerity, if we will share it with our children, they will embrace truth because they have a hunger in their heart. But if we are complacent, if we are living on the fringe, they're not going to love a God that is on the fringe of our life. It is a God that we love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that will be transferred to our children. They're hungry for a God who's working in us so he can work in them. Amen. So when you're faithful, when you pray and fast, when you love God, when you give generously and sacrificially, our children see that. In our Imagine campaign, some mom and dad were talking about one of the meetings they were having, and their son asked them, I may tell the details of this story later, and they said, we're, we're, we're starting a vision campaign, and, and we're going to be giving to build the future, a new church. That young man, uh, not even a teenager yet, went upstairs, got all the money he had, I won't tell you the amount right now, but I know it. Brought it back down, gave it to his mom, and said, I want to give all of this to that capital campaign. Let me tell you why that child did that. He was on the video a while ago, and not one of my grandchildren, in case you're wondering. The why that child did that, because he saw his parents talking about what they believed in. And it was important enough to them to be important to him because what we are preaching, what we are living, what we are building is for you and your children. To you and your children. It is our faith for the future. And we're going to give God probably more financially than we've ever given in our lives. And we're going to do it with joy. And God is going to supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and the windows of heaven, the miraculous windows of heaven are going to be opened on our people for resources and sources of income and giving that you never dreamed of in your life as God shows himself strong on our behalf. Amen. I was thinking about David who wanted to build a house for the Lord and the Lord told him, David, I'm going to build your house. And David said, you've spoken about your servant's house for a good time to come. What I've learned is if you will build God's house, if you will focus on building God's house, God will build your house. That's where we are today. Our faith in the future. We live in a world where so many things are being shaken. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will never be moved. And we are sold out to investing our lives and everything we have to see the vision for the future come to pass so that our children and our grandchildren and all that are afar off will know that this is worth living for. This is worth giving to. And they will be the recipients of what we handed to them. And they will be a part of it so they will not take it 